following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Lord God, we thank you that you send forth your word and it does not return to you until it fulfills the purpose that you were set for it. As we listen to your word, send your spirit upon us so the words that Zoe speaks and the meditation of all our hearts may be blessed in your sight now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Callum, for that reading. Um, and a very warm welcome to you. If I haven't met you yet, I'm very sorry about that. My name is Zoe, and I am the student worker at St. Nick's. Um, a special welcome to you if you are a new student. My hope and my prayer for you is that you would find Durham to be a home Uh, that you can spend a wonderful series of years in and that you would be shaped and formed in this city. Um, Before I start, I'll add my prayers to Callum's. 
Father God, would you help us all to understand this difficult passage of Galatians? Would you help me to speak words of confidence, of hope, and of encouragement? Amen. Amen. So our, oh, I've given it away. Um, our passage today, um, in this passage, Paul begins by seemingly telling off the church in Galatians. He starts, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And he feels the need to remind the Galatian church of this fact, because there's a debate going on at the moment in the Galatian community about what it really means to be a Christian. Because there are a group of people who uh, scholars like to call legalizing Judaizers, who say that there are a set of uh, acts you have to do, to outward acts you have to do to be part of this community. And Paul is reminding the Galatian church that what it is to be a Christian is something to do with the life the de- and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He says, your, sp- your faith started um, through the Spirit. And why are you now saying that it takes certain acts of work, certain means of flesh to find your faith? And It is this question of what it is to have faith that I'll be focusing on in this sermon. For years, I think that I misread a lot of Paul's letters. In Paul's letters, you often see a debate happening between faith and works. And I think I would often read them as if there was a thing called faith up here and a thing called works over there. And I would find this really hard because I would say, I don't want to do works, but my faith is uh, not that easy to maintain. What am I doing wrong? And in this sermon, I want to talk about what it is to look at the work of faith. And I think thinking about the work of faith is important for us as a community as we enter into a new season. Many of us are starting new beginnings, being a, a new academic year, moving to a new city, or maybe just entering into our, famous, our favorite British season, which is called Unending Rain. Um, and so in this sermon, I'm going to have three points for us. Firstly, the fact that faith is costly. Secondly, the fact that faith is powerful. And thirdly, a question. What does it mean for us to commit ourselves to the ongoing work of faith? So firstly, faith is costly. It's a gift which requires a response. In the passage that was so well read by Callum, Paul stresses the importance of faith. Paul says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to begin by means of the flesh? Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Paul stresses the importance of this faith. But what does this faith mean for us? As I was pondering this, I was reminded of the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who who in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, 
creates a distinction between what he calls costly grace and what he calls cheap grace. He describes cheap grace as something that we uh, don't think has any cost, something you can just pop down to the shops and buy, something that says, oh, well, Jesus has done it all, so uh, why do I need to care? But Bonhoeffer says we need to be careful to guard ourselves from thinking of grace as cheap grace, because that, that means that we think that grace had no cost. In fact, the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ was profoundly costly, because it, it was paid for by the death of the Son of God, Jesus. Rather, he says, we have to remember the reality of a costly grace, a grace that cost Jesus his life, that he, God became flesh and died for us. He says this grace is costly because as we read in the Gospels, we're called to sell all of our possessions and go and follow. That's costly to do that. But it's grace because the person who we go and follow is Jesus, the man who says, come and follow because my yoke is gentle and my burden light. It's grace because we believe that uh, we are most fulfilled as we follow Christ. And it's this costly grace, friends, that I think has to be the, ba- has to be the way that we enact our faith. And so I think as we read uh, passages in Paul in which works and faith seem to be juxtaposed, we need to remember that there is a work to our faith. One of the ways that, I, uh, that helps me to think about this is a book that I read during my undergraduate degree by John Bartley, who is a professor here, who wrote a book called Paul and the Gift. And in it, uh, John Bartley says that nowadays, when someone gets a gift, you presume that the gift is more meaningful if Uh, nothing is required in return. If I gave one of my housemates a gift for their birthday and I said, oh, you're a great housemate, here's a gift, will you do all the washing up for the next year? That would not be considered a true gift. However, um, John Barclay argues that uh, in the time in which Paul was writing, gifts uh, were intended to have a response that what it meant to give a gift Uh, was to expect a response back. And I think that we need to see our faith as as a response to the gift of God. So that's my first point, the fact that grace is costly because it's a response to the costly grace given to us by God. My second point is that faith is powerful. The Christian faith describes a topsy-turvy way of seeing the world throughout the Bible, and particularly in the Gospels, the story of Jesus, we see an inversion of the natural order. It is the children who know God best, not the learned. It is the poor who are the most blessed. It is the foolish who are wise. Our Christian faith uh, describes great things coming from small and insignificant ones. We can go to the book of Hebrews to help us understand the nature of faith, which says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain in what we do not see. 
by faith, it says. Abraham, uh, when called to go to a place, uh, went. Uh, yeah, I just paraphrased that. You shouldn't paraphrase the Bible. Um, but, but yeah, Abraham felt called by God, even though he was an uh, old and insignificant man in many ways. But in following, he, um, the nation of Israel was formed, and now we have the church. I find a huge amount of encouragement in the story of Abraham, and I find a huge amount of encouragement when I remind myself of God's salvation history plan. It's a story that started when God created the world and God called it good. But then we see the fall as sin enters the world. We see Abraham, an old and childless man who responds to the call of God. He leaves his country and his people and goes to a land that God's called him. And he was blessed and became a great nation. And then there were many prophets and many exiles. And then we come to the story of Jesus when God becomes enfleshed. Through his life and death and resurrection, he atones uh, for our sin. And we believe now in a coming kingdom when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But Paul was speaking to the Galatian church who is in a similar place to where we as a church are now, in the middle of the story, as God is in the process of bringing about the new heaven and the new earth. And that's what's so exciting for us, that we have a powerful faith and a powerful God, a God that is enacting a story and we are in the middle of it. So friends, God's spirit is at work in Durham. And Durham is our home, be it for the next decade, the next couple of months, the next year, the next three years. What does it look like for us to have a powerful faith that God is at work in this wonderful city? Thus far in my sermon, I've said that it is not that we need ought not to see faiths here and works here because there is a cost to our faith. I've said that our faith is powerful because it reminds us that there is a powerful God at work. And so finally, friends, what does it mean for us to commit ourselves to this work of faith? Paul asks the Galatians church, after beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? I think that's an important question for us to be asking ourselves today. And for me, part of the spirit behind that question is an invitation for us to revisit what our functional theology is. What I mean by our functional theology is it's so easy to sit down and crack out a book about uh, justification by faith alone, watch three YouTube videos, and be confident in what our theology is. But how is our theology enacted every day? How does our mind really think and process about what it means for God to be at work in the world? It's important that we take time to revisit our functional theology. And I think that's important for two reasons. The first reason is that our faith is countercultural. As I said, 
the Christian faith that we have describes a topsy-turvy world, a world where the weak are the strong. And it's so easy for us, maybe like the, to forget that fact. And the second reason why I think it's important that we take time to revisit our functional theology is because, as I said in our sermon, our faith is hard. And what it means to be human is to so often try to find the path of least resistance. How often do we allow ourselves to forget the costly nature of our faith? And so, friends, how shall we try to commit ourselves to the work of faith together? One of the most important things for me in my discipleship has been the local church. In the church, we gather as a community to sing songs of praise to God, to refresh and renew our faith, to gather together, and then to scatter throughout our city to try to be salt and light, to try to enact the things that we've heard on a Sunday morning in our workplaces, in our communities, and in our family. Only then to come back next week, thankful that we are saved by grace, to renew and recommit ourselves to the work of faith. The church is the gathering of the people of God. And in our glory and in our brokenness, we try to muddle together the work of faith. I remember when I was in my second year of university, the whole world felt very overwhelming. And I would come to church every Sunday morning, and I would sit in the back, and I would look at my feet while everyone else would sing wonderful uh, songs of praise to God. And maybe by the end of the service, I would muster up my energy, and I would try to sing the final song, go back on my week, and be thankful church would happen again. In that moment, other people had faith to sing a song that I didn't have faith to sing. What does it look like for you today, in the coming week, to commit yourself to the work of faith. Who supports you, and who do you support? So in conclusion, I think it's easy to read Galatians as simply contrasting faith and works, but I think that that's a mistake, and that we need to think about the work of faith. Faith is costly, but faith is powerful, and we need to commit ourselves to the work of faith together as we enter a new week, as we enter a new academic year, as we enter a new season. What does it mean for you to commit yourself to the work of faith? The work of faith is hard, and we need to do it together. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.